All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Eichbrett. And joined with me is the captain, Mr. Andy Full. What's going on, dude? Oh, sad that it snowed. Like, boat's still out, driveway covered in snow. It's sad. But I'm like holding out hope for one or two more days of crushing smallies here in the next week or so. So pray for warm weather. <laughs> sad? You're, you're one of those that you're sad when you see the snow come? Yeah, because my boat stays outside all summer, so I'm like, oh, that means I got to put it away, make sure it's drained so lower unit doesn't freeze. Other than that, I love snow. Like, steelhead fishing has been incredible, so it's um, it's awesome. Dude, we, uh, my fiance and I were talking about this. I think it was Saturday that we had our first snow up here in New York, and yeah. we had the same conversation. Like, she does not like the snow very much, but I like it's like Christmas for me when we have yeah. our first snow. I, I absolutely love it. And especially when you mix like a nice blizzard with a big fat smallmouth, there really isn't yeah. a better feeling for us northerners. And I'm sure except for you and caught baby smallmouth. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, it's gonna suck too. I hope we don't have ice uh for at least till January, mid January. I mean it kinda looks that way, although it's kind of been getting yeah. cold, getting cold fast up here. Yeah, Erie's still warm, it's above fifty degrees, except for we have like insane wind for the last seven days, but everything's mud now. So it's going to take five to six days for Erie and Buffalo just to settle down a little bit before we can even get out. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Joe's on the sicko for enjoying enjoying snow. <laughs> I, I love snow. Like, I grew up steelhead fishing, so steelhead snow is like the perfect equation. So I I love it. It's just like now that I guide for bass as well, I'm like sad because that means the boat is going away. Yeah, I hear that, dude. Well, uh, a couple things to uh, dive into here before we get our guest on. Uh, for folks that are tuning in, probably already know that we have Mr. Brandon Polinick joining us tonight, and uh, we're pretty excited for tonight's show. So <laughs> before we break into that, I think first things first, we got to give a shout out to Christine Fisher for winning the Hobie uh, BOS Tournament of Champions, racking home 35K. And uh, yeah, it, dude, that's big. I think it's big for the industry, but it's also big for her and her career. Uh, and paving the way for a lot of female anglers. So it's it's a pretty cool deal on, on multiple fronts. And uh, got the opportunity to chat with her a little bit briefly. And uh, it, it's pretty cool to see kind of – we need to talk to anybody, obviously, that wins, just hearing the, the raw emotion, you know, especially so quick, like after they won. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing. Um, and then also, I think one thing we want to talk about really quick too that we were talking off offline together, and also Brandon with Brandon a little bit was the uh, the Bassmaster Redfish Tournament, which I'm sure like a lot of people so much seen. fun. Yeah, and a lot of guys. It was kind of cool how they structured it with a bunch of the elite boys because you know, we were talking. You know, Zaldane was in it, Hudnall, Patrick Walters, uh, Matt Heron, Mark Menendez, Trait Zaldane, like. They they get a cool a cool mix of bass and redfish folk and it, it kind of made for a little cool yeah. showing, you know, from Zaldane catching one on a mag draft to Patrick Walters almost dropping all the fish at at weigh in, it was yeah. it was a cool deal. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, where, where it think, looked like a right. Before we bring Brandon out here, where do you think that that they're trying to take the whole redfish cup thing to? More like a, 
I don't know if they're going to do like a redfish. Like, I feel like they're trying to bring into like a redfish team derby and they might try to integrate like Bassmaster pros and like top open guys and move it into that field to integrate the two, just broaden the horizons to a wider audience. I think it's a good move because it, the two go hand in hand. They eat the same lures. They kind of act the same way. Like if you watch some of the old classics on the Louisiana Delta, guys are flipping reeds with a jig and one castle catch a large mouth. The next castle catch like a 25 inch redfish. <laughs> so like they're just trying to maybe mix them kind of somehow together. And it'll be interesting to see where they go with it. Heck yeah. Let's, uh, let's get the opinion of someone who fishes the elites here and bring yeah. on our guests. Mr. Brandon Pollinick. What's going on, dude? What's going on, guys? What's what's your take on this Bassmaster Redfish Cup? Where do you see it going? I don't know where it'll go. I'm sure they're going to do it again because it looked like it was a ton of fun. Uh, It was cool to just watch, like, those different techniques and stuff mesh together, right, and, like, see the – hardcore bass guys and the hardcore redfish guys kind of mesh together and see how they feed off of each other and work together to figure out, you know, different species. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of directions they can go with it, right? They can turn it into an entire series. Um, It just gives another platform for Bassmaster to promote and, you know, all the connections they, they have with Fox it they're able to take that and transport that over to the saltwater world as well right and yeah we're all anglers together and the more people we have fishing whether it's freshwater or saltwater is better for everybody and just because their name is bassmaster doesn't mean that they're not all about promoting other fish species as well so i think it's a, a cool thing and just the beginning of Hopefully many redfish tournaments to come. Yeah. I know uh, we've had him on the show before. His name's Blake Smith from down in Florida. He actually was like bit like a hair close to uh, qualifying for the elites this year. He's actually a former like redfish pro. Like he used to fish the whole redfish league down in Louisiana. Yeah. yeah it'll be kind of cool to see that happen and see if there's a guy who can do like you see John Cox do in multiple circuits and then a guy does multiple circuits, but for two different species. That would be crazy. A guy like win the championship, like redfish championship, walleye championship, and the classic in one year or something. The legend legend status. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The triple crown. Yeah. (laughs) That would be one uh one thing tough to like top in anyone's career. It's like how do you how do you get to the top of three individual platforms? Like that's just insane. Yeah, that would be gnarly. But, dude, so before we get too deep into the show here, uh, everyone that's new to the show, we like to, to throw it back to the beginning where, where everything has started. The roots. And, uh, with that being said, we're, we're kind of curious on how it all started for you, you know, going back to the first bass catch. I who might got be you started fishing? freezing. What's that? You got us? Oh, sorry, I might be freezing up. The one the bad storm. part about living in the middle of nowhere, Idaho, and windstorms is that I don't have that great of service out here. Like the only way that I have Wi-Fi is either satellite or the hotspot on my phone. So Uh-oh. it's <laughs> subpar at best. But uh I think I caught that and uh who got me started. 
and I, it was a family friend of ours. Uh, originally, my mom was the one that took me out fishing and, you know, taking me out backpacking into mountain lakes and stuff around Idaho. And then it was a family friend, Jeremy Tripp, that fished local regional tournament stuff. And he's the one that first took me out on a bass boat and introduced me to the tournament side. You know, because at that point before then, I didn't even know that you could target a specific species. Like I just went fishing to get a bite. I didn't really care what it was from. And then from that day forward, really all I cared about catching was a bass. Yeah. So was he kind of your route into like getting your first bass boat, starting fishing your own, your first tournament, like, and kind of getting that whole timeline started? Yeah, he was definitely the one that, like, or I guess originally fueled the fire, right? Because he was the access point for me to understand, you know, different techniques early on, understand that there were things even called bass fishing tournaments and that you could compete. And I was always a competitive little kid anyways. And so, you know, and I loved the outdoors and it gave me the opportunity to mesh those two things together. And, you know, I started fishing just kind of local club with him early on. And, you know, it, the cool thing when I look back at it is that it wasn't like he was a 45-year-old guy taking an 8-year-old kid. He was in his low 20s taking an 8-year-old kid. You know, so it'd be like pretty much like a college kid grabbing a kid at, in elementary school and taking him out fishing and showing him the ropes and things like that and that's how i got started and then i i started branching off and fishing some of the local stuff by myself when i was 14. uh a, one of my buddies that was my age i kind of got him introduced to bass fishing he started to fall in love with it his mom ended up uh i don't know if she won a slot machine or what she won at the casino and won some money at the casino and ended up buying us a little 16 foot bass tracker with a 25 awesome. horse. And that, and we started fishing tournaments out of that. Cause before that me and him would take like a little aluminum boat out and we'd go out every day during the summer. We'd, well, we couldn't drive then, but his right. mom would drive us to the lake. She couldn't back a trailer down. So we'd have to back the trailer down, pull it out. And then she would drive home and come back and pick us up when it got dark. And, uh, and then, you know, at 14, we started fishing by ourselves out of that little tracker. And, uh, and then I started fishing the Federation or what's now the Bass Nation. I started fishing that at 16, uh, and ended up getting a Ranger at that time. So I had a, like a, $30,000 boat and I had a $1,500 truck that I paid cash for. <laughs> Phenomenal. <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do. It's a great yeah. way to start. <laughs> Priorities. Yeah. yeah. So what I'm getting from the story is that gambling is good. So go gamble to get your first boat. <laughs> That's all we are is we're just a bunch of water gamblers. Yeah. That's all we are. This true. is true. Well, dude, uh, Obviously, I think everyone knows, and especially because you just walked us through it, and how you know going, getting through the to the elites, through the nation, and 
I think a lot of folks know that about you and your career. And now that you've seen a, a bunch of different routes pop up for, for folks to try to make it to the elites, you know, now that you have college, you have the opens, the nation, uh, you know, now you've been, you're a veteran now. So you've gotten a chance to kind of look back, see how different people make it. Like mm -hmm. after kind of an, uh, analyzing that, do you think that there's like a, a best route, if you could you know, put a finger on it, of a way to get into the elite series? Uh, I would, I would say the best route is whichever one suits your situation. Uh, every angler is, you know, geographically located differently, um, you know, set up financially differently. Uh, and so it really just depends on what your situation lends itself to, right? I was a young kid, didn't have a lot of money, had to work to support my habit. And, and I didn't have time to travel to the opens, didn't have money to fish the opens for one. And two, I had to work enough just to fish the stuff around here and paid the bills to where really the Federation was the only option for me. Right. Like I knew that I had to make it and it took me seven years of fishing that before I qualified. So it wasn't like it. I fished it one year, made it, and then qualified for the elites. I had been fishing the Federation for seven years before I won the national championship. And, you know, but then there may be some guys that are right in the heart of it. And one of the opens goes to their home lake that they grew up fishing. And, you know, maybe every tournament's within a couple hundred miles of their house. That's a lot more financially feasible, you know, or it's a 35, 40 year old guy that's a little bit more financially stable that can take some time off. And so I don't think there's a, a best route just to say like, this is what you need to go do if you want to make it. Cause everyone's got a different situation. Right. Uh, I will say that I think the guys that do eventually make it through the Federation are pretty hardcore guys because it's a long, long road to get there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, a lot of times, yeah, a lot of times once they get there, they went through a lot of different bodies of water and they've kind of proved themselves. Um, and so I don't, there's just, there's not one way that's better than the other, you know, and now yeah. college, you can make it to the classic, but you can't make it to the elites. Um, but there's no doubt you look at the roster that's, on the elites now or fishing the opens and guys that consistently catch them a lot of them come through the college program right yeah, that's a good point i think what helps the college program so much is a lot of those multi-day events that they fish they have like two three hundred boats in them so they yeah. know how to adapt and fish 200 field tournaments like the opens so they already have a step Ahead, they're they're a step ahead of the competition in that regards, from your local it, guy yeah. who steps in, and it gives them a really good platform. Yeah, right. It gives them national exposure while they're still going to school. I mean, yeah, I had to choose. Like, I came to a crossroads between college and fishing, <laughs> and had to choose one or the other. Now you can go to college and get a scholarship to help pay for it. And you know that makes a huge difference. Yeah, 
and you know and especially in the quality that we have and i just think like the learning curve is so much shorter now than it was before because the amount of information that's out there right yeah and we're going to kind of touch on that a little bit later in the episode when we start talking about, you know, building a brand in, in the fishing industry. But we kind of want to break into talking about being versatile as an angler. But I think, Andrew, didn't you have a question before we break into that segment? Oh, are you talking about the first ever Bassmaster Classic? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's one of my favorites. So 2011, you qualified from the nation, right, to go to the Classic. Yeah. How did it feel to fish basically by alongside with Kevin Van Dam and Aaron Martins through the classic and that whole field, that first tournament. Super humbling. Uh, Some of my best memories to date in my career are from that event. And I think a lot of that's just because I was so new and I was taking everything in. And the fact that I was new a lot less people wanted to talk to me, right? And so yeah. I didn't have as many distractions uh, with all of the outside stuff that happens at the Classic. And so I was able to just be there and, you know, watch. And it was it was amazing being able to line up to those guys, uh, you know, just next to those guys, take off with those guys. That was a culmination of my entire life, right? Like everything that I had dedicated my time to and my money to was coming true in that moment. Uh, You know, that was the first event that I had fished against those guys. I hadn't fished an elite event or anything yet. So all of the elite events followed the classics. That was like my first professional tournament ever. You know, it was like that stage. And uh, it was mind blowing. You know, and that's that was a really cool place to have it. The setup was amazing. The arena, the amount of fans we had, um, you know, and I, I still like to this day just remember having interactions with Kevin and Aaron and Scott Rook and those guys like on the water because when the fog lifted, there they were. You know, I thought I was out there on this giant stump flat by myself, and then all of a sudden there's like three or four of us out there and we all end up making, well, we all end up pretty much fish, finishing in the top five. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it either day. I think it was day two. You guys were like basically trading blows on giants. If I remember correctly. Right. Yeah. Pretty much like day one was like just kind of the tip of the iceberg. And then every day after that, it just, got better and better and i think by day four it was just ridiculous um i we had the perfect storm of conditions right we had a north wind it was abnormally cold all winter long down there (laughs) the water was low and the week of the tournament it went from like highs in the 40s to highs in the 70s and no wind or little light south wind and so it pushed all the water back in so the water was rising it was warming up so fast that you could literally see the grass growing taller every single day on your graph that's insane it was mind-blowing like i've never seen that every day you'd show up and the grass would be like a little bit taller off the bottom 
and it just like kept following the water levels up higher and higher. And it, it went from like being able to see every single stump with your eyes to none of them. But when that happened, it was like every giant bass that lived within 10 miles of there swam right to us. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. We'll probably never see that again ever. You know, that's like just that's one of those weeks where everything lines up where you see that. You know, that's the right. weeks where Rojas broke the record. Um, you know, like Mother Nature lines everything up and we just happen to land right on top of it. Yeah, it's incredible. Now it's kind of funny we talk about Mother Nature and we can spin around to go to last year's Elite Series event and she threw a curveball at you guys every single tournament, it seems. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that's just one of those things you just have to deal with. Like, I mean, it was. It was like every single event. You'd be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Again? Again, it'd be like sunny, sunny and 75, no wind, day of the tournament or day before the tournament, monsoon, hurricane, tornado <laughs> warning. <laughs> Didn't matter. Snow is eight feet. Yeah. yeah, it was insane. Open up the weather app on your phone. You're like, this has to be a joke. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, What's the weather look like next week? Son of a <laughs> again. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so awesome. I really want to break uh, into our segments here, but I'm, I'm Joe's got me curious, and he put in the comments. Uh, Joe Barber oh, mentioned have Brandon talk about his bargain bin baits from that event. Said he loves that part of the story. Uh Oh yeah, Joe's such a student of the game. Yeah, he is. (laughs) He knows he knows all the backstories. Oh, so what he's referring to is right. This shows like how green I was. I was at one of our local tackle shops up here, and I was buying some tackle for the event because well, I didn't (laughs) have any sponsors to get product from, so I was just buying my tackle, and in the bargain bin at one of the tackle shops was this old bandit 100 and the color was Louisiana shad. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm going to Louisiana. So obviously, (laughs) yeah, like that's gotta be the color. Right. And that's nearly what I caught every single bass on down there was this $1 crankbait that I bought in a bargain (laughs) bin that I had like two or three of. Um, And it, it was just crazy. Like how well they ate it. But I mean, it literally, it's like, a sign. <laughs> whether or not a shad actually looks like that in Louisiana, I don't know. But it was a great color, and it caught them really well. But <laughs> then again, they probably would have eaten just about anything that bounced off a tree at that point. Yeah. Now, now my next question, like, relating to that, how, when you got home, how many more Louisiana shad Bandit 100s did you buy? Uh None. I mean, you couldn't find any. Uh, obviously, they were like, <laughs> well, you never know. Close out. So they you never know. Discontinued. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like some people are scoured the internet for days just to find more of them. So, yeah, they all went from the bargain bins and all the retail shops back to full the price. end caps. <laughs> full <price. laughs> <Yeah>. And gone. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. So, breaking into talking about being versatile as an angler. I remember after you had your, your fifth win, you said that one of the things you were most proud of was having all five of your wins were doing five different things. And I found that and it it resonated with me and it it kind of stuck with the fact that 
doing five different things, it shows how crucial it can be being a, a versatile angler and where the benefits can lie. And kind of to start out with that, I'm curious if, if that is something that just came natural to you. Cause I don't, I'm not experienced. I don't know what the fishing is like in Idaho where you get to the chance or the opportunity to kind of do different things to get you prepared to go on to that next level. Or if it's something that, you know, you put in the time in different regions and doing different techniques, trying different patterns, things along those lines. Uh, I mean, it's, it's really just, ten, you know, tens of thousands of hours of time on the water and, you know, research over and over again. And a lot of it does come from where I grew up. Uh, you know, our lakes in the springtime, we get a bunch of snow melt. As soon as it starts to warm up, the rivers flood, they're dirty. You can see maybe six inches of visibility and it's flooded, you know, flipping, spinner bait and cranking like the stuff that I really love to do. And by the time summer rolls around and fall rolls around, you can see 20, 25 foot of visibility it's clear we got grass and rock and wood. I mean, we nearly have everything you can imagine, you know, and our water temps will get into the eighties, maybe in the summer, which isn't super hot, but then it goes all the way down into 37, 38 in the winter time, but our bigger lakes don't freeze over. So we can fish for those fish in those super cold temperatures as well. Uh, so you learn a lot of these different techniques. And I think uh, one of the biggest keys to that is that our seasons are, you know, or they're all condensed down and everything changes so much faster um, because those fish are moving through, you know, you look at places that are even colder than when, where we're at, like Minnesota and things like that, where they, you know, get feet of ice over their lakes those fish are constantly moving and transitioning. And I think that plays a big role as an angler when you go to bodies of water and you have years like this year where every single event, some crazy, you know, weather condition was thrown at us, some changing condition. And you just learn, you know, even if you're not purposefully learning that in the moment, it just becomes part of how you compete as an angler. And I've always said like the guy whose light bulb goes off the quickest is the guy that wins that day, right? We're all given eight hours to compete on the water and the guy that, you know, clicks and puts that math together, that math problem together the quickest and figures out the answer is the guy that's going to win that day. And you just have to, constantly do that and so the more scenarios you've seen and more situations you've seen the quicker you're able to move through that and work out those problems and be able to figure out exactly what you need to do right it sounds like it's uh trust your gut always trust your gut it is fish fish with your limbic brain is <laughs> what i'd like to say Love it. <laughs> well, for folks like myself who have a simple brain, please expand upon what this limbic brain means. <laughs> well, everybody has a limbic brain. Uh, so the limbic brain is what controls your gut feeling. It doesn't actually right. come from your gut. It comes from your limbic brain, which controls 
most of your emotions and your behaviors. Um, and believe, I'm not a neuroscientist, so this is just <laughs> stuff that I have read because um, I like to learn on stuff like this. And then I take it and I apply it to fishing and somehow. Um, but it's it's those gut feelings that you get, right? And a lot of that comes from experiences. And you when you use that, and then you have the other part of your brain, which is your upper brain, is your neocortex. And that is what controls like our speech and our critical thinking. And so you have to balance those two things. Uh, you know, so you're like processing the information, but then also it's like, like that is what's telling what you're telling your limbic brain, like, hey, maybe you should go do that. So I've always thought like if you're driving down the lake and you look at something twice, you might as well just pull over and fish it because there's something telling you to go do that. Um, yeah. So it's like, a, you, you have, to, there's always a reason why you're thinking about something. And the older I've got, the more I've just let myself go do that uh, because it may take me 10 minutes and I may be able to eliminate that technique or that area, or it may lead me down the road to a really good finish or a win. Brandon Palinek, a full-time fisherman and part-time neuroscientist. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. I just <laughs> happen to read some books every now and then to talk about it. I think we should call him doctor. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Palinek. Uh, not even close. <laughs> so to kind of put it, like give a scenario here. So like take a guy, uh, kind of like how yourself getting into the nation and qualifying for the elites coming from Idaho, you know, the, the Northwestern region, you know, take a guy who's been in one region his entire life, hasn't really gotten the chance to, to travel out, thinks he's got, you know, has the skills to make it and then, you know, embarks on that journey, right? I mean, what kind of advice do you have for somebody that knows that they're going to have to learn completely different, you know, walks of fishing that they've never had the opportunity to even try in their region? Uh, a bass is a bass. doesn't matter where it lives. Um, now, that bass may live slightly different uh, based on its type of available cover or forage base. Uh, but when you strip it down to the most basic sense, like a bass lives a very, very simple life. It's just really complicating to us because our entire lives are based off of a 24 hour day and a 365 day calendar and a bass doesn't care what day it is. They don't schedule their next phone call or their next podcast. They just live whatever condition they're based off of. Right. And so you do this research and you kind of get an idea. Uh, and I, I get this question all the time of like, Hey, I've got this tournament coming up on Lake X on this date. And the first thing I tell everybody is, look, you can do all the research you want, but all that matters is what's happening that week, you know, or that day, because the reality of it is, say the tournament's December 10th, 2021. Nobody on this planet has ever fished any body of water December. I don't even remember what day I said now. 
any day in December in 2021. It's just, it hasn't happened. It's not possible. <laughs> and so nobody knows exactly what's going to happen that day. And when you think about it that way, it really opens up your mind to paying attention to what's happening that day or that week. Uh, you know, you can use past experiences to kind of guide you in a direction, um, but not getting caught up in that doc talk and like what what you should be doing on a specific body of water will open up a lot of times the way that you're able to win an event, right? Yeah. Most of the time an event is one doing something off the beaten path, whether it's an area or a technique or, you know, a completely different depth range from what the general population of people and fish are at. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I think there's there's a select few that can adapt quickly to different techniques or patterns and, and from different regions like that they've never been to before. But I think there's there's definitely something like a correlation between folks that try to force a certain technique, like you mentioned, that should be happening, right? And they force it too much that it ends up hurting them and they don't end up cashing the check. I think you find yeah. that often, whereas like you said, they just fish the moment and a bass is a bass. They probably would have fished their confidence and we would be fine. But one of one of my favorite sayings that I got from uh, the guy that got me started is he'd always say it like somewhat jokingly, but it actually was serious. Um, he'd always tell me, "They're gonna be where you find them," and you're like, at first, you're like, well, <laughs> duh, obviously, obviously, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but when you take a step back and you think about it, it it was really meant to say that same thing, right? Of like not trying to force a technique or an area and like, you know, having confidence in your abilities, I think is one of the first things. Like once you have confidence in your ability to catch a bass, then when you're not catching them, you're like, well, obviously they're not here, right? But I see too many guys think that the bait or the area that they're in is better than their ability to catch a bass right and so they just they keep trying to force something or force something like oh, i should be flipping like that's what i should be doing you're not getting bit flipping like maybe you need to move off the bank you know mm -hmm. like it, it doesn't take that long to figure out if you should be getting bit or not um and it, so I've, I've always laughed at that but it's always been in the back of my mind um yeah. especially when i'm practicing uh, you know, to just continually move and try to find new fish. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but at, so at first I've, you're like, well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't Thank have you, anything Captain better Marcus. to say. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's a good question from, from Tony here. And he says, so how long do you try what you know before you switch it up? Um, well, this is the thing I love and hate about bass fishing. There's no black and white answer, right? I can't say five minutes here, you're done, change it up. Um, I think the biggest thing is that now with the electronics we have, you have the ability to see if there is some sort of life form happening under the water, right? And if you're up shallow, say you're flipping mats, if you hear you know, bluegill and bait fish and bugs and stuff popping in the mats and all of that, there's life happening there. 
So odds are there's some bass. Um, you know, if you're offshore and you're you're seeing fish around and you're marking fish, then odds are you've got the location right. You just may need to change your angle or the bait that you're throwing at them. And so I that's I that's how I judge it is if I feel like I'm around fish and I'm seeing fish or, you know, like around a life form, I just need to figure out how to get bit. If I'm if I feel like that area I'm in is just void of life, then I try to move. Uh, and sometimes in a tournament, even if you're finding fish, you have to realize that those fish may not be big enough and you need to continually look for where those larger fish are living. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. We have uh, Brian here that I have no idea what lakes these are, but he's asking if you like <laughs> Lake CDA or I don't even know how to pronounce that more. I'm that assuming is, these are Idaho lakes. <laughs> they are. They're my two home lakes. So CDA is Cordelang. It's Cordelang uh, okay. Lake. Um, and then the other one is Pond Array. Pond Array. I would have never yeah. gotten that. <laughs> They're French names. Uh, so like Coeur d'Alene is C-O-U-E-R space D apostrophe capital A-L-E-N-E. So it, it looks really knows. weird. It has giant small mouth and large mouth in it. It does. It does have. Yeah, it took, um, well, the last fall tournament took 23 and change to win. And he had a seven and a half pound large mouth. And then this spring, there was like a 32 and almost a 34 pound bag. Good. Weighed in with nine pounders. And those are straight northern largemouth. Those aren't Florida strings. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Um, But yes, I mean, do I like those lakes? Oh, which one do I like more? Um, I don't know. I, I probably like. Lane a little bit more it's a little bit more versatile um but ponderay is probably one of the most beautiful lakes in the entire country and it's over a thousand feet deep which is pretty dang cool is that the uh the submarine lake yeah that's yeah they used to have a naval base there which they still have some there but did like submarine testing and everything there that's wicked i think i remember i can't remember where it was maybe it was kyle that was telling me about that that's where they they do all the testing for the yep. uh, submarine. That's wicked. So my last question uh, for you in terms of versatility, unless Andy has something here before we kind of break into you know branding, um, is out of your out of your five different wins, is there one that really stands out to you? Like maybe one that you're more proud of than the rest? Uh, I'm equally proud of all of them. Uh, they all seem to have come at just the right moment in my career. You know, like when I needed it the most <coughs> is when it happened. Um, and they all are super cool for their own reasons. Um, you know, like my first one at Bull Shoals, it was awesome. One, because it was my first. Two, because that was the first time that everyone was kind of able to see me go off the beaten path and do something completely different from the rest of the field, you know, where everybody else is fishing less than four foot of water and I'm not fishing deeper than 14 foot of water. And it was like, you know, 
that was one of the weeks that it was easy and that doesn't happen very often, but that week it was easy. And, um, like the second one was really cool because I'd been DQ'd at the Mississippi river. We'd go to the St. Lawrence river. I jokingly say like, I guess I'll just have to win the next one. And then I end up winning that one. Right. And I do it running nearly a thousand miles over four days. Uh, and like, you know, so that had like a different meaning to it. And then I didn't win for quite a while. And then one at Rayburn, which was, you know, kind of a different type of fishing. Um, you know, that was another offshore event. And at that time, I felt like people had kind of like forgot that I won a largemouth event and everyone thought that I could just catch smallmouth. And so that was special. And then uh, the last two in 2020 were special just because coming back to bass, um, Champlain has always been a place that's like hit or miss for me. So it was amazing to win there. The final day was incredible. And then uh, Santee Cooper was probably like the one that I felt like was the most out of what I was known for because it was like a shallow water, dirty swamp. And, <laughs> you know, a lot of my other events have been one offshore, right? Like two smallmouth events offshore, two largemouth events offshore. And then to win one where, you know, majority of my weight came punching really is where how I got most of my big ones mm -hmm. was super cool. Cause that's one of my favorite techniques. Uh, and I've had really good success with it but I've just never like been able to do it and have a good enough event where I got that TV time. And uh, I mean, there's like there in my mind, there's not a more fun way to catch them. <laughs> Likes the big stick the most. eh? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> who would, who would have thought <laughs> <laughs> we have a, love it. we have a good question here from, from Christopher. I, I can't pronounce your last name, but apologize. it looks like Sawzak. It was like a Polish name, but yeah, he said, uh, could you please go over your triangle, triangle theory for finding good locations? Oh gosh. Um, you're well, asking that's a lot of theories. Diving too. deep. That's, that's like an hour and a half long podcast in itself. So I'll keep it very, very <laughs> the brief. Yeah. Very condensed version. But the, the whole triangle theory is, um, a theory that I got from a guy back here in the Northwest that, used to have a TV show and his whole thing was just catching giant fish. Like didn't matter what species it was, giant walleye, giant largemouth pike, salmon, trout, whatever. He always just went and caught big ones. And what he figured out is that he would start looking at the places that he caught them and comparing contour lines of these places and the times of year that he caught these fish. And he realized that you could, pretty much draw a triangle on these locations where these fish would live and they were using the contour lines as their travel routes just like we use our highways and that's how they were traveling and mm -hmm. everything was based off of seasonal movements and the base was your spawn because we know all fish are going to spawn at least one time a year and you use that as your base that's where your contour lines are wider and more spread apart it's where your triangle is wider and then 
you would find places where those contour lines would lead out and they would tighten up and that would be where your triangle tightens up and that's the point of your triangle and so on opposite ends of the spawn right or extreme conditions so summertime when it's super hot or winter when it's really cold those fish want to be able to move up and down vertically in the water column without having to swim very far horizontally when you have those extreme conditions you know temperature wise and i've used that every single day that i'm on the water trying to find bass um, i don't do it like consciously now like where i look and i'm actually like drawing triangles out but when i'm looking places look good to me because of that theory um, and different times of year and the cool thing is is that most of the time when you figure out what part of the triangle they're in you can look at other similar places and i'll run to a creek and i'll only fish that section of the triangle because that's where the most the general population of the bigger fish are at that's wicked cool I, i've never kind of put it in the pattern yeah andy have you ever kind of put it in perspective like that so i won't say in a triangle theory but the first thing I always do when I study a new map is try to find those wide contour lines to figure out where the spawning flats would be based on no matter what time of year I go there and then grow out to the contour lines. So as you yep. start, like if it's deep summer pattern, I want to fish deep or try deep. I'll look for those close condensed lines to find that depth change with a flat close to it. So I've never used the triangle theory, but it's all about reading contours and knowing where that highway is. So I have used that quite a bit, which is awesome. Exactly. Yeah, that's definitely something to put into perspective, especially you know season by season too. Um, <clears throat> so finally breaking into branding in the, the fishing industry. Uh, and I kind of want to put on the premise, this question, the first question for you, this is on the premise that I think now more than ever, there are a lot of people very successful in the fishing industry that aren't successful tournament anglers. Uh, and that, with that being said, you know, my first question for you, would you agree that now more than ever, it is important to, you know, make your brand, like your personal brand, a focal point of attention in the fishing industry, if you're trying to be successful? Oh, I mean, Yes, is the short answer. Uh, the tricky thing is that you you run your fishing as a business, but your brand is your personal self, right? And you have to balance those things, and that can be tricky sometimes. Uh, I would say the biggest thing is that whether you're a tournament angler, whether you're on YouTube or podcasting or whatever, like you have to have a brand and stay true to that. And then because we're, you know, individuals, most of the time we are our own brand. And so staying true to yourself is like the best way to do it. And it's going to give you the most longevity and you have to have that so that people can resonate with it. Um, you know, but then you also have to have the branding standpoint of it from a business side of it that people have things that are recognizable, right? Like that could be a logo or, you know, a color scheme or a style or something. Uh, and it doesn't mean that those you can't change those things, but 
things that people can see over time and build that recognition with your brand. Yeah. And, and this is, you know, something that I've honestly been pretty excited to, to chat with you about because I think, you know, genuinely that you're one of the best in the game, if not the best at, you know, building your brand on the water and off the water, kind of like you just explained. Um, and w- with that being said, for like, for somebody that has the fishing skills, but, and I think there's a lot of great examples out there today of folks that have the fishing skills on the water, but maybe kind of lack the, either the, the savviness or the knowledge to start the building their brand from a business front, which I think, like we just mentioned, is imperative now. What are some what are some kind of starting steps for them to kind of get that business side rolling beyond just hiring somebody to to take care of it for them? Um, I mean, the biggest thing is that you have to have a want to do it, like a a will to do that because it's extra work, um, and that's where guys most of the time fall short. Right, is that they just want to fish, but they don't want to put in the extra work off of the water. Um, and so the guys that are really successful uh, building a brand or you know building sponsor relationships, you only see ten to twenty percent of what actually goes on. You know what what right. you see on social or out there in magazines and all that, like that's just such a small portion of the conversations and the work that goes on behind the scenes. And so it it takes a lot of time to do that. Um, And I think when guys are starting, especially if they're younger guys coming in, the biggest thing is just staying true to who you are, because if you don't, you will get burnt out and it'll start to feel like a job and none of us got in the fishing industry because we wanted to work a job. We all got in the fishing industry to try to get away from our jobs. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yep, that's me. Well, it's funny. Uh, in August, I did quit my job. I became a full-time guide on Lake Erie out of Buffalo. And I also do some steelhead stuff. So a little side note there, I got out of my cubicle and full-time fish now. So it's fun. Yeah. yeah. See, and it, I mean, if you you can do that and you can say it's fun because you're doing it in a way that you're still (laughs) able to enjoy it. Yes. Um, You know, and that's why I say you have to have the will or the want to build that branding and that business side also, or else it's just going to feel like a job. Yeah. And, you know, I guess I have a, I was fortunate that I just, I enjoy that side of it. Um, I enjoyed not only like building my own brand, but I feel like as I do that, it reaches a bigger, broader audience of people that also then grows the sport. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the root cause of all of that is trying to bring more eyeballs to the sport. Like I came into an era where I always felt like I wanted to try to make bass fishing look really cool because <laughs> definitely like, done that. You know, like when I was growing up, there wasn't high school fishing. There wasn't college fishing. It's like, you didn't really talk about it in school. You know, like a lot of people didn't know that I fished tournaments until like probably like later in high school when I started dragging my boat to school and, you know, and then just leaving from school and going to the lake. Um, But then it like, then it kind of became cool after that, you know, and then, 
obviously when you're in high school and people see that you win money catching fish, then they think it's kind of cool. Yeah. So, so it, this whole kind of business side, you know, the content creation has kind of always been a part of you then. It's not like something where you kind of realized it was like a, like a moment where something clicked. It's just, it's just something that's been in you for almost your entire life. Yeah, it is. Exactly. It wasn't ever something I felt like, oh, I need to do this so that I can build my brand. It was like, I'm going to do this because I also enjoy this. Um, you know, like I love building content that people look at and they go, how did that happen? You know, or like, like how did they get that shot? Um, that I enjoy that not as much as catching a fish, but it, it gives like kind of that similar type of feeling. And I think, you know, I was, I was just fortunate enough that I enjoyed both sides of it. Um, and so I think the biggest thing though, is that I've learned is, especially when you start talking like sponsorship wise is aligning yourself with products that you believe in and people that you believe in. Uh, you know, cause sometimes there can be a really good product, but the people there are not enjoyable to work with and it's, it just makes it miserable, you know, or, you know, every single time you have to talk to those people or, um, you know, negotiations come up, it's just hard. I would rather build friendships and then the money and the business side of it is just a byproduct of this enjoyable experience we're having together <laughs> you know like yeah. we're gonna build we're both gonna sell products and we're gonna build the brand we're gonna build content and you know i want to be able to like call people up on the phone or shoot them a text give them a hard time about something but you can only do that, that if you're working with people that like have a shared you know, sense of values with you and kind of a same approach to business. Yeah. Not focusing on what you're receiving, but more focusing on the importance of a, of a two-way street versus what are they going to do for you? A hundred percent. If you're building you, a relationship, a friendship. Yeah. It's, it's no different. Yeah. than like a friendship or relationship with your girlfriend or wife or anything, you know, like even your parents, like it's, if it's a one-way street, it's short-lived, right? Someone's going to yeah. be unhappy. Um, and catching bass is hard enough that you don't need to make the other stuff any harder. Right. Fair <laughs> enough. It's a very fair point. You know, like, we, we are in a losing game. Like, everyone needs to know that. Like, if you, <laughs> gamble. If you come in, <laughs> yeah, if you come into bass fishing, know that you are going to lose more than you're going to win. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who you are. Kevin Van Dam, all-time winningest angler in bass fishing history, has lost way more than he's ever won. Yeah. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. So if you're going to get your teeth kicked in all the time, you better find a way to enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> you better have some good friends. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you need good friends and sponsors to pick you up when you're down. <laughs> that's good. Well, uh, we have a couple. Uh, we're gonna start wrapping this up in a in a few minutes here, and uh, we got a couple of fun questions here for you. But uh, Andy, do you have any questions left for Brandon, pertaining to kind of Brandon? Uh, I kind of want to see what some of the 
uh, user, users, uh, viewers put in here to see and then kind of follow up on some of them. So, I mean, all the points have been great, but I'm sure I'll find something to run off of here shortly. Yeah. Joe here is asking uh, if you've ever pulled a, a Tom Brady and taken some uh, pay cuts to stay with a certain brand or to keep a relationship. Diving deep. Uh, yeah, I have. I've taken pay cuts uh, to stay with certain brands. Um, you know, when maybe a different company I was working with wanted to said I couldn't be with this company if I wanted to be with them, and I'll just say see you later. Um, I've turned down big money deals because I didn't feel like the like the business model lined up right. Um, you know, I mean, Sorry. I've walked away from, from quite a bit of money because what I realized, thankfully, early on was that money was never my driving force. Right. Uh, you know, and I think that's why, I mean, I'm not going to go down this road, but like, that's why I came back to Bass, right? It was because... Right. yeah when none of us got in this game to be rich, right? We all got into it because we love it. Um, and so if you do deals based on money, then you feel like a sellout and nobody is wired to be a sellout. Right? Mm. Like I just can't live that way. So I would rather take deals that are less money with people that I enjoy. Uh, and, and, you know, rather than take the next deal that's going to pay me more, right? There's something to be said for some loyalty and having that credibility, right? If you're just jumping a different brand every single year, then it's really difficult to say like, oh, this is my favorite lure. And then this is my favorite lure. And this this is, yeah. And I mean, I'll say like, there's often times that it's out of an angler's control, right? Like, Companies get bought, cuts get made, things like that happen. Uh, so it's it's not always the angler's choice when that mm -hmm. happens. But yes, I have definitely turned down some money. But it is every single time it is worth it. And the flip side of it is I have taken deals that I, you know, in my gut, in my limbic brain were like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. But I'm like, man, that's some pretty good money. I got some house payments I need to make. And you do them. And every single time I do it, you regret I, regret, it. I regret it the entire year. Like every time I have to build content or something, like it just feels forced. And I don't like it. And, you know, right. they usually end up lasting not very long. Well, I think that goes back to your point of kind of just following the path of positivity and you know making those right relationships work so staying true to yourself yeah. as opposed to trying to be yeah. a people pleaser yeah yeah well we're gonna hit you with a couple questions to wrap things wrap things up more kind of fun fun questions and uh we got, i got two unless andrew andrew's got something for you and uh the first one is kind of business oriented it really comes from our buddy john king who texted me today to, to ask you this okay okay <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually like, like john king has some of the wildest questions so i'm gonna apologize <laughs> in advance because i don't yeah. know what's coming here uh he's a great dude but he's just wild 
Like, I love it. <laughs> no, it's nothing bad. It actually, no. it honestly, more made me laugh. And it might honestly be more geared towards towards Kyle, if anything, with his snacking. But uh, do you have any ice cream non-endemics uh, in the works for sponsors next year? No, I don't have any in the works. I have some ideas. I've got some really great pitches. So if anyone has a connection to an ice cream brand, preferably a national brand, uh, so that you know it would be more readily available to people. But uh, we ha- we have had discussions internally within the BMP fishing team, but no discussions with any ice cream brands. But we are willing. So and I. I guess a good question from here is, um, I know you do the cut day ice cream if you make the yeah. cut, but what happens if you don't make a cut? What do you do then? And then what is your favorite ice cream? Like, what is your staple go-to and your favorite ice ice cream joint that you have been to across the country? So I guess it's a three-part question. Uh, if you don't make the cut, you just don't get ice cream. Like, <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't happen. And they've tried to talk me into it. And I just have to put my foot down and be like, nope. Like, I guess would you like go for like an ultra marathon when you're done with that day? Like, why did I suck so bad? Like, let's go for a 20 mile run or. Uh, there have been many occasions when I suck on a body of water when I felt like I really should have caught him that I do literally get back to the camper and just go run. But nine times out of 10, I catch them way better the second day when I do that. Yeah. And it, it's not a punishment thing. I go to run to like it's clear my head. PMA type deal, positive yeah. mental attitude. Got it. it makes, makes a huge difference. Um, and so <laughs> they, uh, like, I got up at four o'clock this morning. I just woke up and like, I need to go run. So I went and ran this morning when it was dark. But I felt better the entire day versus when I don't. And so my favorite ice cream is generally some sort of like chocolate peanut butter combination. That's generally my go-to, but not chocolate ice cream. It has to be like those things with vanilla ice cream or like a cake batter ice cream or something. I'm not really a chocolate ice cream fan. So you like peanut butter with like chocolate chunks in it is basically what you're saying. Something, yeah, along those lines. Got it. Uh, I mean, like if we go to Dairy Queen, it's a mini DQ Blizzard with Reese's in it. Yes, that's my go. Money. <laughs> Kyle will get like, what? A, he'll get like brownie batter ice cream with gummy worms and like mint chocolate chips or something weird like. Like I will say, dirt. terrible, <laughs> terrible. I will say at the classic this last year, <laughs> I uh, we were up for each day uh, working at Gunpowder. We were up at like two thirty in the morning to get the Weather Channel to the launch. I have never yeah. in my life seen one man drink so many Black Rifle coffee cans in my life than Kyle <laughs> each, each morning. That I actually went up to him and I was like, are you okay? Like, I'm kind of concerned for your health right now. Like, your heart's Heart going to beat through your times. chest after the six can in an hour span. Like, <laughs> Mind-blowing that any of his footage is stable at all. <laughs> exactly. For sure. There was an earthquake. It, I, but there, this year at the Classic, um, was probably some of the best ice cream we had this entire year. Uh Gosh, what was it called? 
creamistry or something like that. It was uh, that nitro ice cream oh. that they make. Yeah. And I had no idea. I just looked on Google Maps and was looking for a place close to downtown that I could park my boat and truck that had a big enough parking lot. And that right. place came up. And so we went in there with like almost 20 people. And that stuff was legit. Knoxville was super good. Uh, St. Lawrence River had really good place. I can't remember the names of all these places. Um <laughs> And then we have a couple really legit ones at our house. There's one called Annie's Ice Cream. Uh, she actually brought ice cream to our wedding this summer because we had cut ice cream at our wedding. Congrats, by the way. Thanks. Tiff made the cut. So <laughs> it was... Uh, I love it. <laughs> she, she had really good ice cream. Heck yeah, so, that's awesome. Yeah, good one. Well, Andy, you got any questions left for Brandon before we hit him with the last one? Uh, you can hit him with the home run. All right. <laughs> so everyone that's new to the show, we always give this question out. It's uh, it's one that takes a lot of different routes for different folks, so it's fun. It's one that's different really facial enjoy, expressions. It's fantastic. Yeah, and it's so if you could sit down, and I don't know your beverage of choice. If you like a whiskey or a beer or anything, but uh, ice cream. Or yeah, or if you could sit down and have, we're gonna change it up. If you could sit down and have a nitro ice cream with three different individuals, they do not have to be fishing industry. They can be alive currently or a thousand years ago. It doesn't matter. Your options are limitless. Uh, sit down with three different folks, have an ice cream, and pick their brain. Who are you gonna invite? Mm, Aaron Martins. Matthew McConaughey, because I read his Green Lights book and it was awesome. And the conversation between those two individuals alone would be quite entertaining. I wonder who would talk more, Aaron or Matthew McConaughey. Depends on the subject. Yeah, it's true. I, I guess. <laughs> um, and then... Um, maybe like George Washington. <laughs> Like That's someone from like early, early on, you know, like when the United States was like first becoming a thing yeah, mm -hmm. and to talk to someone, you know, that was like in power <laughs> wouldn't necessarily have to be him, but that's just to throw an example out there, mm -hmm. but someone early on from like when the U S was getting started and like what their ideology was of what they saw the country becoming. <laughs> Have them look at it now and see how different or similar it was to it. I wouldn't do that to them. I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. do that to them. No, I was like, I wonder how many people would be like hit with like the belt or like just slap. Like, what are you doing? Like it just and we, we shouldn't dive down a that lot. Road, no. But yeah. <laughs> I've actually uh, it's funny you say I've been meaning to uh buy McConaughey's book and read that after uh, I don't know if you listened to his episode with Joe Rogan, but that was one of my all-time favorites of Joe's episodes, just from a, a mental yeah. mental thinking process of McConaughey. The, the book cool. is awesome. And to Joe LaBarbera's question about turning deals down, uh, he had like the ultimate move on that one and was like turning down $14 million offers for uh, movie deals. And he was like, oh, yeah. no, no. 
That movie I'm not going to ruin the book for you, but yeah. it is a super <laughs> cool book. I'm going to have to buy that as soon as we get offline here. Yeah. <laughs> Might have just right. had some uh, McConaughey book sales from this episode. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, but dude, seriously, uh, thank you so much yeah, for taking you. the time out tonight. And uh, hopefully, uh, the windstorm passes without any without any damage to you or your home. We've yeah, we've made it this long. The lights are still on. No trees have fallen <laughs> through my camper or my house or my shop. So knock on wood. Yeah, I yeah. feel like you guys have had like a barrage of western storms recently up there. That didn't. Pacific Northwest, I would, yeah, like the last month or so, right? It's been like storm after storm. We've had some crazy ones. Like we've had a few hail storms. I mean, the good thing is like in the grand scheme of things, we don't really have any weather that's going to kill us. Like yeah. unless you crash in the snow or something, like we don't have hurricanes or tornadoes or any of that. So we're pretty lucky. Yeah. Dude, seriously, thank you so much for taking the time out. We yeah. really have. Really appreciate you hopping Thank on you. here and dropping a lot of knowledge. Yeah, lot. you're welcome. Looking forward to the next one. Best of luck okay. in 2022, man. Thank you. Amen. Yeah. We'll be talking to you. Take All care, right, see you. you have a good one. <laughs> I love this comment right here. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> you said Matthew McConaughey, and that's like, the first thing that I thought of. I had like I University love Matthew of- McConaughey. He's so good. Like every time I see like was it this is a Buick commercial I think he's in or something, and I'm just like, oh god, <laughs> like, yeah. it just gets stuck in my head. He he's so a uh, many he's a big uh, Texas Longhorns fan. Yeah, I didn't know that about him for like until like last year. I saw like I think it was Texas or ESPN was posting something about McConaughey at a Texas yeah. Longhorns game. But uh, but I'm happy he said that because McConaughey has been somebody I've always been intrigued by. Like every Joe Rogan episode with him, I've probably watched five times over just to really receive all the information because McConaughey kind of like what you know Brandon was getting into of talking about that mental process of you know going down the path of positivity like he's very similar similarly track minded yeah uh, and a lot of those folks really intrigue me you know pique my interest and I like to receive as much information as possible so yeah dude this is a this is a show that I've been looking forward to getting set up for a long time as you know because yeah. uh, you know I don't like I've told Andrew this all the time and I've gotten to talk to a lot of cool people and meet a lot of cool people in my short time, you know, working in the fishing industry, you know, maybe what a year and a half or so. And yeah. uh, Brandon's like the only person I've ever been somewhat like starstruck by just because I've looked up to him for, for a while. Enamored. Like, yeah, I think I we mean, could all say that we're a little enamored by BP because just like the presence he brings to the situation well, like, that and he's it's virtually our age too he's a little older than us so it's just incredible yeah and it, it was funny earlier you know when i called him a veteran he kind of you could see him chuckle a little bit but like i mean he, he's he could even says it in like in his instagram bio like he has 10 uh classic qualifiers like he's he's been in the industry he's been in the game for a while he is a veteran when it comes to yeah. uh, to, to professional fishing and but kind of watching his route, like get when he went through the nation and watching him, in, you know, make his way through, establish himself. And then I, one thing I was just really inspired by, and a lot of it was due tonight, it's just where he's been successful, how he's been successful, and how he carries himself through success and through failure. That's just always something that's been inspiring to me. So I would I love to, you know, you know, keep up with him throughout his career. And yeah, uh, tonight was pretty freaking awesome to uh, get him on the show and pick his brain. And uh, huge shout out to you, all you folks that tuned in tonight. 
uh, appreciate y'all coming through and uh, says a lot about uh, his, his fan base for a lot of you guys coming in here. We got Pat and Joey going at it. In the comments here. I love this. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, well, for that, tonight was a really awesome show. I think a lot it of really was. I'm sure a lot of people will agree with the same. Yeah, I, I'm actually probably like I listen to some. I go back and listen to a lot of them because I mean we we get to do this on a weekly basis by like twice a week, right? We get to talk to all these awesome people, but this might be the one I actually go back and re-listen to multiple times because there was a lot of information and PMA dropped in this episode that I think everybody should tune in and listen to multiple times because I feel like there's going to be a lot of things that people are going to miss. So, (laughs) (laughs) We got to get Pat on a show coming up here soon. I've talked to Pat before about getting him on and I failed at trying to schedule that. So Pat, we'll we'll get you on the show here soon. And uh, Joey, hopefully Zeldane's coming on soon. I'm sure he has a a Redfish Cup hangover currently, Uh, (laughs) but uh, we got some cool shows coming up in the works. I know, uh, gosh, if I don't stop spilling stuff over my desk here. Uh, I know next Monday, uh, like a 90% chance we're still in the in the works of confirming it. But uh, we're getting Dean Rojas on next Monday Night Live. And at the end of the month for Monday Night Live, we have Mr. Josh Bertrand coming back to the show, I think, for like the fourth or fifth time. We always enjoy when Josh yeah. makes his appearance. Uh, so we got some good shows coming up, a lot of good topics. And we, we highly encourage and appreciate when y'all guys throw out some topics that you want to hear discussed. And uh Andy, do we have a sh- I think we have a show lined up for this Friday. Do we? I'm sure yeah, we do. I think we're talking that late fall and a winter kind of phase. But uh, guys, make sure you guys are tuning in to the, the YouTube channel. Apple Podcasts. Leave a review, please. We appreciate it greatly. And Yeah. yeah. And our uh, same thing, I think while he's here, uh, Mr. Pat Renwick, make sure you guys go check out the Straycast channel. They have uh, been a huge help in getting me through some of the the twenty hour Texas drives, and uh, they do a good job over there. And so, thank you to Pat for tuning in tonight, man. That, that means a lot. Uh, they do Indian leg wrestling. No, you want to <laughs> wrestle, Zach? Like, we'll you want to wrestle? That. Come on, Zach. Let's go. We'll, we'll incorporate it when we get a we get a studio here in Buffalo. Yes. <laughs> but no, we got some. Uh, we got some good fishing videos coming up for you guys too on the channel, so look out for those. But uh, Andy, any uh, upcoming dates for folks that want to get on some some Lake Erie smallmouth or steelhead? So uh, actually, this Saturday for smallmouth is looking incredible. I think the southwest we have a southeast wind. I think right now five to eight on Saturday. That could change, but that might be one of the last days I actually get on the boat, unless somebody wants a steelhead trip because money's money but um yeah i gotta i want to get out on the big lake or at least the river one more time while it's still warm enough to chuck that crankbait around because that's just been an absolute riot but yeah, it's a little out, muddy i haven't been out there when it's been dumb for the fall yet so hopefully yeah, we'll get a chance to do that and film for folks yeah like we're getting around that point right now where it's just going to be silly for like the next two weeks if we can get out right yeah. Well, folks, I think, uh, Andy, unless you got something else, we'll, uh, we're going to sign off here tonight. Thanks and, for tuning uh, in, everybody. And yeah. um, as always. Yeah, I'll, I'll, a quick note really fast before we sign off here. Uh, 
Adam has uh, for the business from the Bass Boat episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's taking its uh, its month off here. Adam got set with his business stuff. He's making a, a comeback here, and he's getting Mr. Kurt Dove on Wednesday. So make sure you guys look forward to that. And after that, we'll see you guys on Friday's episode. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Searsanga fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.